If you're curious about Web3, I have no doubt that this is gonna be the, the future of technology in the years to come. And the sooner you jump in and dive into this space, you're gonna be a lot better off for it. So if you're sitting on the fence, jump off the fence and, and jump into this, uh, this new brave world. Hello and welcome to the Blockchain Pro Podcast. I'm Adriana Balotti, and today I'm speaking to Chris Wurf, founder of Verita. We talk about how his professional life happened to follow the evolution of the internet and the role of Web3 in the future of technology. Let's get to know Chris. Hey, Chris. Hey, Adriana. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me to have you on as well. Let's dig right in, shall we? Let's. Tell me, what's your, what's your story? Why did you decide to work in technology? Oh, that's a good question. Well, that does go back to my early days. I still remember being in primary school, I think year five or six, and um, having at lunchtime, I sort of broke one of the computers and I had to get floppy disks. And I had 30 floppy disks and I had to go and um, put them all in one by one to reinstall Windows uh, 3.1 and reinstall uh, Microsoft Office. And uh, at an early age, I was always sort of very curious about technology and computers and had a very, I guess, inquisitive nature that technology tended to feed quite well. So um, from early age, had that sort of interest and, and that sort of just continued to develop and, and grow. As I sort of got a bit older, I, I realized that you could actually make some money doing this stuff, which was obviously a, a lovely bonus. Um, I had a few attempts at sort of going to university, but I always sort of ended up back um, building software, um, you know, earning money, um, playing around with different entrepreneurial ideas. So yeah, look, I've been a professional software engineer developer for over 20 years, which makes me feel very old, but I've um, been doing that since I was really a, a teenager. Yeah, we probably wouldn't have it any other way. I love it. I, I love the technology. I love the innovation opportunities, the, the challenges that are, it's always an evolving space. There's always something new to learn. You think you know everything, um, but you never do. Um, and uh, it's a great opportunity to continue to grow. Absolutely. You mentioned 20 years there. So that takes us back to about 2001, which is the beginning of Web 2. So were you already programming when Web 1 just started? Because that was like the cusp, right? Web 1 was maybe five years, and then Web 2 came about 2001, 2002. What was the difference, and how does that compare with, you know, Web 3? Well, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we have... Um well, back back then, I still remember going around to my grandfather's house because he was the only person that had the internet with a dial-up modem and going on to, um, uh, I don't even know what the browser was back then. It would have probably been Netscape or something like that and, um, you know, searching bulletin boards. And um, the internet back then was, was very much read-only, so very much Web 1. Uh, I would characterize as sort of, you know, surfing the web browsing for content um, and consuming, you know, just reading. And that was probably late 90s. And then obviously in there we had some a bit of a dot-com boom and, and bust and uh, some other fun stuff uh, in sort of the tech space. Uh, but I then got into Perl programming, so starting to learn how to develop in Perl because that was sort of CGI scripts. So that was the ability to sort of start to create cool things like a shopping cart with cookies. And um, so that was sort of my early introduction into Web2, um, creating this sort of more interactive web, uh, which is, was incredibly fascinating to me. I could you know, create new things and explore ideas and look at a, a new website and then try to replicate that myself. So yeah, started building websites for people, shopping carts. Um, this was before there were sort of any sort of frameworks. You had to do everything by hand. Um, so you're sort of learning from, from the bottom up back in, back in those days. And 
Um, yeah, so that was very much the early days of Web 2. I still have a very big regret back then. I was still sort of a teenager and I was walking down one of the, the main streets in my local town and I was knocking on doors of real estate agents saying, hey, I'll sell you a website. And they're all saying, oh, no, it's, there's, you know, the internet's too slow. You know, nobody's really using it. And I just wish I had the idea of realestate.com. I'll just give it to you for free. You know, just, you know, just uh, I'll create the app. You just uh, start listing your, your properties for free and it would have been set for life. But um, you live and you learn. And I think some of those things that I've seen over the journey of the last 20 years, you see patterns, repeatable patterns, and you see that as Web 2 has evolved, um, you know, the concept of you give it away for free and then you build in um, different pricing models and that sort of SaaS subscription model has evolved, you know, in that time in Web 2. Um, and then, of course, now we're moving to Web3 where um, it's all flipping again. It's all new types of models here with um, tokenization and more community, um, perhaps a little bit less sort of competitive sort of nature and new ways of building technology, innovating and um, and creating collaborative sort of partnerships. Yeah, and those concepts, if someone is new to the space, they are kind of hard to understand because there are so many moving parts. So if you could put it very simply, what is the main difference between Web 2 and Web 3? And how can people think about it moving forward? How can people get involved in this? I'm doing air quotes here in this movement, which because it is a movement right now, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, if you think of uh, Web 2 as being this read-write web, the ability to consume content, it was the introduction of social media so that you could write content, you could post a, a tweet, you could post a, a photo on Facebook. It was very much interactive and social. Um, and obviously that was a big step up from Web 1. Where Web 3 comes in is, is I guess, uh, a lot more about that collaboration, that ownership, um, that identity. So in Web 2, you go to, so let's say Facebook or Twitter, you go to a centralized website where somebody, uh, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg owns that platform and, and controls it. Um, whereas in the Web 3 world, it's more about community ownership, uh, collaboration. Uh, and so as, a, as an individual, um, you can look at a project in Web 3 and go, hey, I want to get involved. I want to participate. I think this is a great uh, initiative, a great concept. Um, and you can get involved in lots of different ways. You can uh, perhaps uh, buy some tokens that represent um, value in that particular project. You might be able to earn some tokens by um, adding value into that project, whether as a developer or perhaps um, providing marketing um, and communication support to the project, uh, writing documentation. Um, there's lots of ways that people can get involved, if, even if they're not technical, business development. Um, and then there's a governance. So there's the ability in Web3 to create these sort of new types of governance um, structures that allow people to participate in decision making and, and determining the direction of, um, of projects. And what I find really fascinating is that we're still very early in how the technology can enable these new, new primitive, I guess, pieces or, or, um, or foundational kind of capabilities. But uh, we're already seeing a, a huge wave of, of innovation, new ways of people collaborating um, and projects that you just wouldn't even be, think think of in the traditional business world. You know, the traditional kind of dog-eat-dog competitive world um, starts to become uh, possible in this sort of new uh, Web3 environment. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and I think that's where Verida or Verida... Verida, yes. Well, I have a Brazilian background, so Latin, for me, I've always read Verida. <laughs> That's how <laughs> we would say in Portuguese, but all right. I like the trail. You can run with that, the, the, the trail on Verida. the A. I like it. It's good. Yes. <laughs> but okay, so tell us about Verida and what problem you're solving. 
Yeah, sure. So, so Verita is sort of a, a play on words a little bit. So um, it's sort of an abbreviation of verification, identity, and data. At a high level, I guess that's what we're looking to to bring together is you know identity, data, verification, and and a tying all that together is, is blockchain. I might come back a little bit in terms of how sort of Verita came about because I think that helps put some context into the problem we're, we're looking to address. So I previously had a company a number of years ago and we were building CRM software. So we we're building software to manage casework for, for clients and, and that was handling very sensitive information. So we were handling information about sort of domestic violence case notes, people that had financial difficulties, issues with children, you know, family support cases. And we had uh, so we had a lot of very sensitive information that we had to protect and secure. We had to think about the security of that from a technology perspective. We had to think about the user experience of how that data is shared and who can have access to it. So that consent and do that in a sensible way. I had to think about jurisdictional concerns. You know, data couldn't leave Australia, so you had to host it here. You couldn't sort of use an overseas hosting service provider or, or other SaaS platform to build a solution. Uh, and in addition to that, we had like, we had about 150 customers when I sort of left the company and all of those were custom pieces of software and they all had different common components. And so there's this very interesting architecture. How do we have generic code and modules and then have custom pieces and end up with a solution that actually is still works for everyone? So I learned a lot there from, I guess, a technology standpoint, but also from that, that user experience standpoint. And one of the things that really stood out was if I came to you and I had a traumatic event in my past and I had to tell that to you to try and get some support, um, you'd, you'd enter that into a computer. You'd sort of type that up into the computer, add some notes, um, record you know, the, the key points regarding that issue. And you'd then refer me, you might refer me to two or three different people. And so now I go and see two or three other people and I have to repeat that story. And it could be traumatic for me to repeat that story. And so I'm actually repeating the trauma. And fundamentally what's happening here is that it's the computer systems, the way that we've structured how we manage information, how we, you know, digitally kind of connect with each other was kind of, is broken. You know, it's not my story anymore. It's, I'm sort of putting my story out in all these other places. And I realized that fundamentally the fact that we've lost control of our own digital identity, our own data, is actually a, a really fundamental failing, I think, of how we've evolved into this sort of Web 2 world. And I, I guess I'm a really strong believer that it's an opportunity with Web 3 to kind of reinvent that relationship that we have with our own data, how we um, share that, the consent we give to that, and how we rethink interoperability of, of our own private information across different systems. So with that sort of lens, I sort of started a research project of, okay, well, what, you know, how can blockchain help with this? It should you know, one of the promises of blockchain is self-sovereignty and, you know, user control and agency. And, um, you know, as a technologist, I sort of want to use technology for improve the world wherever possible. So went down that rabbit hole and um, I guess came to the point uh, after a while, about six months, that there wasn't, there was some missing pieces in the Web3 technology stack. And if you think of blockchain being decentralized computation, you know, if you're building a, a, a traditional Web2 application, you need lots of different pieces of a puzzle. You need, you know, a front end, you need authentication. So you normally have like an email and password. You need to have messaging. So you normally have an email address so that you can receive a message. You need to be able to store your private data needs to be stored securely somewhere. In Web2, that's stored on somebody else's service, which is a problem. So we want to try and fix that. Um, but on Web3, most of the storage is public or distributed. Um, maybe it's encrypted, but it's still you don't have control over where it's stored or what country and, and things like that. Let's pause, so, right, let's pause there for a second because in Web 2, the data is stored in someone else's server and in Web 3, it's distributed. But I don't have a server, so it's still not my server. So what is the difference there? Because I think that's a key point that a lot of people gloss over and it's hard for you know noobs to understand what is the key difference there. That's a really good call out. So the way that I 
characterize it is in Web2, your data is stored on somebody else's server. So you don't have any control agency. You sign that terms and conditions, they can go and sell your data. They can use it to target you with ads, all sorts of things. So we obviously that's not great. Web3 at the moment is primarily where you can have your data, but it gets sharded. So it gets split up into lots of different pieces and it gets distributed to lots of anonymous servers. Sometimes it's encrypted, sometimes it's not. So there's two things to distinguish between decentralization, which means that you have sort of your own agency in control and everybody has their own agency in control. And then there's the distribution. And so if you think of, at the moment, things like IPFS, the data is effectively distributed across lots of different servers and you have no control or agency over where that's stored. We see that as a, a fundamental problem. At the end of the day, as a user, I want to say, well, I want my data in Australia or I want my data spread across three different servers or I want the option to spin up my own server and have all of my data stored on my own server and choose my own backup policies because I'm kind of technical. Um, other people, they will want to just press a drop-down button and say, okay, I want my data here and here and never think about it again. But the important thing is that there's control there and there's an architecture that gives that control. And that's, I guess, the fundamental foundational mindset that we're coming at this data problem with Verita. And when you start to think of complex use cases like healthcare, where there's often requirements that data stored in a particular country or has some sort of regulatory component around how it's stored or financial data, it's really important that the technology you know, has these fundamental capabilities uh, considered from the very right, beginning. Right, and so you are doing exactly that. We've basically created that storage infrastructure. So we've created those storage nodes. We've also created a framework. So we, I talked before about all those different pieces that you need to build a Web3 application, of which blockchain is one of about five. We've actually created a framework so that we can plug in all those different pieces. So we can plug in the blockchain, the messaging, the private data storage, and then make that available to developers as an SDK. So as a developer, you can pull down the Verita SDK and go, okay, great, I've got a toolbox, all of the capabilities that I need to build an app that could compete with a traditional Web2 application. It's all here. It's all at my fingertips to start building really you know, interesting and new things. So we've built that framework and we've had to as I mentioned on the data piece we've had to fill in some of those gaps so for today we've you know built a private personal star storage infrastructure um, we've done some things there around messaging and identity but it's all within our framework which is designed to be modular so in six months time there's some new amazing private data storage that meets those criteria that I was talking about we'll be able to plug that in and that can become another storage engine. Similarly with the messaging, there's other identity standards that we are interoperable with. So our first objective is to put together something that developers can use to build Web2 style apps in Web3 from day one. And then our longer term strategy is to open this up as much as we possibly can and allow other projects, other Web3 technologies as they evolve to and plug boy, in. do we need that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a it's a very complicated landscape at the moment with web and it's, and it's a challenging user experience as well for both developers and end and users, which um, I guess, Verita, we, we want to try and take some ownership of trying to improve that user experience on both of those um, sort of user types. The interesting thing there, I sit on both ends. I'm trying to build something, but I'm, I'm a user of something. And I sit on the user scale of I'm an advanced user, so the interface doesn't have to be that great for me and I can still sort of like navigate which is a privilege, but, and we're trying to solve this problem on the side where let's make these interfaces easier to use, let's make the user experience good. So, you know, when the masses come, it'll be seamless. That's good. And then on the other side, okay, I want to build something. It's a platform, but I don't want it to be a middleman platform. I want it to be a self-sovereign platform where the participants own it and they make decisions about it. And yes, I can build that, but I don't want to stick it on AWS. <laughs> I want it, you know, to be truly Web3. So I think we're getting there, right? 
We are getting there. We are definitely getting there. I think the other thing to call out is that you're right, like the, the end user, obviously you and I are probably more advanced users in this space, but if we want mass adoption, we need it to be super simple. You look at back at Web 2, uh, you know, actually Web 1 even, the first web browser was like just text and it wasn't until really you got images and you, you know, had some HTML where you could format things, it became more usable and that was where we sort of got mass adoption, I think, with, with the Web 1. And so I think we're at the very similar pa- stage with Web 3. It's still kind of clunky and you have to do a lot of stuff manually. You have to kind of understand what's happening. But, the, you know, the next evolution is that that's a lot simpler and you don't even know that you're using sort of blockchain or, you know, maybe you understand it's Web 3, but you don't really understand as a user what really that means. It's just that you, you know you're getting a better experience. You've got more control. Maybe you're earning some sort of token and revenue from the different services you're using and you're like, hey, this is great. But you don't necessarily have that technical understanding of what's going on behind the The same scenes. way a lot of users don't have the technical understand understanding of what goes on behind the scene on a web browser and how exactly. you're calling how, how does youtube work you just click play and the video plays but you know the back end is a very complicated engine there's a lot of magic going on there exactly <laughs> all right and you have started building your blocks and you decide to build with uh you're starting with two different blockchains how's that work are you going to integrate more things what is the roadmap Yeah, sure. So what we've actually done is we've focused on this private storage messaging identity framework, which is, I guess we call it just the Verita framework, Uh, but it's all off-chain. There's no, by definition, it kind of can work. If you just spin up your own node and talk to other people, it can kind of work, but you need a way of discovering people. So that's where blockchain is really great. You can have the ability to, you know, on a blockchain, register yourself, make yourself discoverable as a participant, maybe as a hosting provider, you know, a service provider providing hosting infrastructure or messaging infrastructure. And so the decentralized sort of blockchain can provide a really important um, connectivity piece. So at this stage, we've focused on, I guess, all the technology behind the storage, the messaging and all of that. now we're connecting it to the blockchain. We're doing that in two important ways. So the first way is, as I said, providing some of those smart contracts for the connectivity. So all the network participants can kind of connect with each other and discover each other. We're also building out the ability for off-chain data to become uh, available on-chain. So that means that let's say you're using Ethereum and you're wanting to write a smart contract and perhaps you want to have a zero-knowledge proof uh, around the proof that somebody um, has been verified through a valid KYC provider. Our model will allow any type of data such as that sort of zero knowledge proof to be used as an input into a smart contract and the signature schemes to be matching up. So suddenly we're unlocking all of an individual's private personal data to be um, made available in a smart contract with consent. So obviously not all data would need would want to be shared, but that unlocks really interesting use cases like for instance, insurance, automatic insurance claims and things like that, that um, require real world data to be used as an input to mm. And when you say unlock, that means with user's permission. Everything is with the user's permission. Exactly right. So you could think of it as like you... At the moment, you might use MetaMask to sign a transaction and the user is you know, agreeing, consenting to sign that transaction. It's very much the same as consenting to share this specific piece of information uh, on this particular smart contract, a flag, obviously, it's if that inf- whatever information is going to be made public um, and then consenting to that as a part of participating in that particular interaction. So it's tying together the data on the blockchain, which we think can unlock an immense number of you know, really exciting And what happens to privacy in a case like that? Let's say I'm unlocking to my insurance um, information about my medical history. Yeah, so there's two things there. So you need to think about what's on-chain and what's off-chain. In the Verita model, if I... Uh, so Adriana, let's say you've created a Web3 health system and I come along to your application and I can scan a QR code that would be embedded in your app on my phone and we have like a mobile app, the Verita Vault, which is like the stores your encryption keys and your blockchain keys and all of your encrypted data. And I consent to 
unlocking a subset of my data for that particular application. So I consent to saying, okay, Adriana's health app can access some of my health data, maybe not all of it, but that data is still only accessible in the web browser. You, you don't have a server. So it's not like you can go and peek in as the owner of that application and see all of that data. It's just that the application has that in the browser, in the cache to conduct, you know, create a user interface and allow you as a user to perform the operations that your app provides. So that's a really important distinction there. And then the next step is, let's say I do need to interact with a smart contract that your health application provides. Again, that's like a transaction and that would pop up and say, okay, um, let's say I'm going to get, I don't know, uh, the Web3 app allows you to get uh, $20 off uh, your insurance every month if you can prove that you've run 20 kilometers every month. So in that case, a pop-up would pop up on my phone where it says, hey, the Adriana Health app is requesting access to proof that says that you have run 20 kilometers a month for the last three months. Um, these are the verified data providers. Yes, I consent to that. And then that gets submitted on chain and that becomes a verifiable proof. Now, I may not decide to do that. I may decide, hey, I don't want to make that information more publicly available. So I'm not going to do that. But there's choice there. There's consent there. And there's a, I think over time, we'll, we'll learn some strategies there where smart contracts can be developed in a way that minimizes the amount of data that's required to be put on chain, but can still achieve the objective that they're, they're trying to it's meet. It's a working progress, right? We cannot solve all of these problems without first start thinking of, okay, what is the problem that we can solve right now? How big is this problem? Start divide that into chunks and then going chunk by chunk by chunk, how the pieces fit together and how you can solve them one step at a time, which takes time. Exactly right, yes. And that's the, and that's the joy of Web3. It's constantly innovating. There's constantly new ideas. Uh, it's, a, it's a real melting pot um, of, of innovation. So what's coming? <laughs> There's a lot coming. Um, so, well, well, I guess multi-chain, that's, that's the key thing. So coming back to, I guess, to your, to your original question is, you know, we see that it's a multi-chain world. That's what we'll live in. And it's important that as a user, I have some data. I can use that on multiple chains, use it on multiple smart contracts. So it's a really important interoperability layer there. So that's a key part of our roadmap is, in, I guess, creating infrastructure there that's interoperable. So um, that means that our framework can talk to multiple blockchains. It means that our mobile phone wallet, Vault, can talk to multiple blockchains. And it's also about interoperability of data. If, if you've got a health app and then I go and use Jane's health app and Sam's health app, there needs to be some consistency there that the data is the same. And so um, we've got the concept of schemas, which is really important. We've got, a, I guess, an architecture there that's designed to allow that data to be reused across lots of different apps. So that's a part of our roadmap, I guess, is expanding you know, the capabilities there and showcasing how that works. We also have the Web2 world has a business model, uh, which is really where you are the product and you are sold to and, you know, your data is used to ta for targeted advertising and, you know, centralized companies make a, make a, a living and, and make a profit from you from that. And there's a really good opportunity here to reinvent that. So um, a key part of our roadmap is to reinvent that model. And the way that we're going to do that is allow a user to interact with other applications and other users. And as they do that, they can actually earn our Verita token. And that Verita token can then allow them to pay for their infrastructure, their hosting, their backups, their you know, other services on the network that they want to make use of. So the end result is that as an end user, ideally, as I use the network, it's actually paying for itself. And I'm still getting that free model that we expect from Web2. But I can also perhaps own a part of it or perhaps I'm a heavy user so I can then actually be more involved and active in the network. And so we're trying to effectively create this new business model that replicates that free model, but also um, creates a, a viable revenue stream for developers that build meaningful apps on the network too. So that's a key part of our roadmap. So 
we'll be releasing our white paper shortly. That'll have a lot more information and there's some interesting ideas that I don't think have really been done before. So I'd definitely welcome people that are listening to have a look and um, welcome all feedback and, and insight as we as we go down this Absolutely. journey. Absolutely. I will add all your links to you know the description of this podcast, your Discord. There's always lots of interesting conversations going on, right? Definitely. All right. Definitely. So let's get to the quick three. What are you reading right now, Chris? <laughs> so I'm actually reading um, a new book uh, by Ray Dalio, the uh, sort of well-known investor. It's called Principles for Dealing with the Changing World. And it's very interesting because it's talking about the uh, 80 to 100 year cycle that we have typically um, at a macro level around financial markets and uh, around currencies. And, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we assume is stable that actually isn't very stable when you go back to sort of Roman times and um, different Chinese sort of dynasties. And obviously the Dutch sort of came and went there for a while and, 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 uh, you know, the English too. So obviously in the the current landscape that we're in, and obviously the recent times with the, the crypto market sort of falling quite heavily recently, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of uncertainty in the world. And this is an incredible book because it has a lot of data. It's just all backed up by data and incredible amount of research and um, some really insightful learning. So if you're unsure about what's happening in the world at a macro level and if you're interested in some of those, some of the finance side of things, definitely recommend checking out. I will that add to my to-read list, which gets longer and longer every time. <laughs> is Are you reading that in like reading, reading? Are you, is that an audio book? Do you know? Yeah, it's a challenge. It's an audio book, but because it's got these really great graphs, so it's got a PDF. And so you kind of listen and then you're like, oh, I really want to get the PDF, but I can't right now and yeah so it's actually a bit tricky i'd love to have the time in my life where i could just sit and look at the physical book and read it but not not a practical thing when we're building stuff there's not a lot of time to sit down quietly with a book unfortunately not one day maybe and at least in my case when i do have those time i'm gonna read fiction (laughs) (laughs) yeah fair enough so what's your favorite um, resource there's a website, figment.io, and it's a really good resource if you're a developer or you're interested in learning more about the different tools, the different platforms, the different blockchains. Um, so they've got really good tutorials, how-to guides, um, documentation. So they've kind of got like a network of people that help build really valuable content to, to learn new things. So, you know, if you do have an interest in Web3 and you're wanting to learn more about it, um, definitely recommend going to figment.io and, and looking at the, the learn page. And there. what's your favorite project? Well, this is an impossible question, isn't it, really? <laughs> so if you look at you know, just the obvious things, you know, just Bitcoin and Ethereum in terms of their respective groundbreaking nature, I think you can't, you can't ignore that as much as um, you sort of... I think we take that for granted sometimes after a little while when you're in this space, but you, know, you have to put a lot of respect, I think, back to um, the roots of a lot of this sort of emerging Web3 crypto space. I think there's pro- if there's one I'd call out other than obviously Verita, which I'm obviously very passionate about, but The Graph, I think, is a really interesting project. You know, they're performing a really interesting role in terms of indexing in a decentralized way, you know, large amounts of content on blockchain. And you know, at a technical level, it's it, that's a challenging problem to do that at scale. Um, and at the moment, it looks like they've got some really excellent you know great concept really good execution and really good technology and if you if you look at i guess projects that you uh respect and and see that they're executing really well i think that's that's probably a good amazing we hit the end uh where, where can people find you yeah so you can check out our website verita.io you can definitely encourage people to have a look at um the different capabilities that we've got there if you're interested in building in web3 maybe you're not even a developer but you've got an idea that you want to run with have a look at some of the solutions and use cases that people are building because they're not necessarily what you'd normally think of as web3 projects uh you know healthcare and insurance and things like that uh if you are a developer definitely join our discord look at our 
um, developer documentation. We've got demos there. We've got uh, walkthroughs. You can dive straight into the code in the browser and start playing with things. But yeah, I guess probably my call out just as a whole would be if you're curious about Web3, if you've got any interest at all, um, I have no doubt that this is going to be the, the future of technology in the years to come. And the sooner you jump in and dive into the space and, you know, uh, read a, a Medium post or jump on Twitter and learn something, like you're going to be a lot better off for it. So if, you, if you're sitting on the fence, uh, I call you out now if you're listening to uh, jump off the fence and, and jump into this, uh, this new brave yes, world. Yes, dive right in, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, Adriana. Really appreciate it. Cheers. And that was Chris Wuerr. To connect with Chris and follow the work his team is doing at Verita, check the links in the description. Remember, comments, suggestions, a little ping to say hello are always appreciated. You can find my links in the description as well. Let's connect everywhere. <laughs> All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will see you on the next vlog. Bye.